Alrighty, encourage you to grab a Bible and go to John chapter 8. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's probably a red one in front of you. You can look on your phone. I'm sure there's tons of apps you can find uh, one for you. It's also in your uh, bulletin as well as on the screen. So if you're just joining us, we're, we're coming to the end here. We've been working through uh, just the fruit of the Spirit out of Ephesians or Galatians chapter 5, where Paul lays for us these nine different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit that's to be displayed, kind of felt as a Christian. So he's kind of helping us answer the question, what does it look like to live the Spirit-filled life? What does it look like to be led by the Spirit? Well, it's to live out the fruit of the Spirit. It's to take what is already in you and get it felt, experienced from other people, faithfulness, joy, kindness, love, you know, gentleness, which is what we're looking at today, self-control. And so, uh, yeah, we're kind of coming to the end of it. And I pray that this has been uh, hopefully a blessing to you. Hopefully it's been convicting and challenging in ways also. And so we do. We're going to look at uh, gentleness this morning. So before we dive in, just a, kind of a promo of what's coming. So uh, we'll finish out the Fruit of the Spirit next week as we look at self-control. We'll come back in the first three Sundays in August and kind of lay uh, more of kind of vision, foundation of what we, uh, what we long to do in family ministry here at our church. I don't know if you, you know this or not, but a, a, a large demographic of people that come to our church are in their 20s, 30s with young kids. I mean, that's, it's an enormous part uh, of the demographic that we're reaching. So we just want to kind of lay down um, some foundations and some vision of what we want to do with families. And so if you've got kids here. I mean, hopefully it'll be a real blessing to you. If you don't have kids here, if you're an empty nest or you don't have kids yet, I promise uh, it'll be, um, there'll be a, a portion for you also because we covenant, every time we do child dedication, we covenant as a family to come alongside these parents and help them in the raising of their children. So some of that's like, well, what does that look like if I am an empty nester or don't have kids yet? Like, what does that mean? And so that's some of what we want to do for those uh, three weeks in August. So hopefully you'll Come back. Hope that's a good promo for it. If it's not, still come. It'll be great. You'll love it. Uh, and then after that, well, I gotta, you guys got to work with me. You got to laugh a little bit, even my stupid stuff, right? Patronize me. Amen, Chad? Amen. All right, super. Um, so then after that, we're going to spend the majority of our fall in the life of David. And so really, really looking forward to that. Uh, been kind of doing it as a devotional for my own life. And so if you don't have something you're reading, uh, you can just jump into 1 Samuel. Man, there's a lot of good stuff there as we kind of look at uh, the life of David. All right? So there you go. That's my, my little promotion. So I'm done. Uh, let's stand together in honor of reading God's word. John chapter 8. So if you're looking at a hard copy of the Bible, all right, not in the bulletin, you might notice that there's brackets in the verses we're getting ready to read. And maybe your bracket says list the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7, 53 through 8, 11. And so what that means is this, is most... Bible scholars do not feel like this was original to, uh, to John. They don't feel like this was in his earliest manuscripts and that it was sort of added later. Some believe to kind of help explain why the Pharisees were wanting to kill Jesus and why they're so fired up. But all those Bible scholars that don't believe it's original John also believe that it's a true story, that this really happened, that this really is a true story. It may not be a part of John's original work, but it is still a true story of Jesus. And the reason why we say that is because as you read this here in a few minutes, it feels like Jesus, right? It, you know, this may sound really weird, but that's okay. It kind of smells like him, you know? It's like you don't read this and go, wow, that's awkward. That doesn't feel like Jesus would do this, but it does. And so I read this and I preach this as authority, as the word of God, 
and I do see it as a uh, true story. So if that kind of wigs you out, please don't go like doing the search on your phone and say like, oh, tell me more about John H. You know, just come talk to me at the end, all right? We'll, we'll have a conversation. So hopefully you can receive what God has for us here. So yeah, all right, that's it. Verse two, hear the word of the Lord. So at dawn, talking about Jesus, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who had heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And so Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declares. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, I just pray that once again, as we pray every time we gather together on Sundays, that you would help us, Lord, to hear what you have to say to us, that, Lord, you'd help us to walk out of here, not just being hearers, but also doers. And we need your Spirit's help. Like, we, I, you know, I can't even understand or even unpack what we're talking about here without the Spirit's help. So, Lord, just may you come and, and, and bring that aid, bring that assistance, bring the comforter, and help us this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I, I've been, um, you know, it's getting close to about 25 years that I've been in ministry. So I started uh, working in some kind of ministry when I was 21 years old, kind of started at a really small church in, in a little town called Vincent, Ohio, where I was a part-time uh, youth minister for that church. And so, so yeah, I've been, been at this for a while. And I, and I find it interesting, as I was thinking about this study this week, I find it interesting that over the course of about 20 plus years, I, I haven't had a lot of people coming to me and say, look, Lyle, Like, I'm really struggling with gentleness. Can you pray that the fruit of the Spirit of gentleness will be more at play in my own life? Now, I had a lot of people come to me and say, well, I want to be more loving, right? I want to be more patient. I want to, you know, I want to be more faithful. I want to be more joyful. You know, we're looking at self-control next week. I had a lot of people come to me and say, man, I I need self-control in my life. I have no stinking discipline whatsoever. But what is interesting, I haven't had a lot of people come to me and say, man, I just, I want to grow and being more gentle. And I think there's a lot of reasons why that's the case. And, and maybe that's kind of how you felt walking in here, like gentleness, boring, right? You're thinking, I'm going to snooze with this bad boy, right? And sometimes I think the reason why we think of that, we think more like, you know, like Mr. Rogers, right? You know, we think I, I got to be Mr. Rogers where I'm just nice and I'm calm and I speak softly and I never raise my voice. And, you know, I'm just, that, that's probably kind of, feel like that, right? You feel like it's very kind of weak and sort of sissy, sort of, so to speak. And we, 
if you're a man in here, you feel like, you know, gentleness is more something that comes natural for women, right? They, they do this. It's kind of intrinsic in them. It's why they're great moms. And so, yeah, maybe the men are the ones that want, need to work on gentleness more, but we really don't want to because it doesn't feel very masculine, right, to work on. Can you imagine going to a group of men and saying, I just need to be more gentle? Like they may laugh at you. I don't know who you meet with, but uh, my guys may laugh at me a little bit doing that. But the problem with this is, is the reality that it is an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, like, it's not like an option for us. Like, this is part of what uh, God's recreating in you. And, and sometimes we, you know, sometimes maybe we lack the motivation of stepping into these. But you got to remember that, that this is what it means to be truly human. To live out the fruit of the Spirit is what it means to be a human being. And part of that is gentleness. And if you would just take, you know, just a little bit of time and just do a, a word search for gentle and just look at the second half of the New Testament, all right? And the reason why I say that is because the second half of the New Testament are letters that are written to kind of help us understand how to live this new life. How do I live in God's kingdom? How do I live as God's new people? And so they begin to kind of flesh that out for us. And it's interesting how often gentle and gentleness shows up. I'll just give you a sampling here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 says this, Be completely humble. And gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Philippians 4, let your gentleness be evident to all. Colossians 3, verse 12, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility. Gentleness is part of the, the clothing that we're to put on as new people of God. In 1 Timothy 6, where Paul's talking to one of his young protégés that he's poured his life into, he says this, but you, man of God, flee from all this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And I just got, like, in my nose, I got, really? I, I get pursue righteousness and godliness and faith. I mean, I get that love, but gentleness, that's, that's so intriguing for me. First Peter 3, verse 4 says this, instead, it should be that, it, that of your inner life, this unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And so just in case that doesn't do it for you, the greatest man to ever walk on this earth described himself as gentle. Remember what Jesus said about himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, when he says this, Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle. Even in Matthew chapter 12, where where Matthew's actually quoting Isaiah 40, and he's talking about Jesus. This is what he says. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. A bruised reed and a smoldering wick refer to people that are hurting, that are wounded, that are spiritually weak, that have little faith, who've been caught in sin. And how does Jesus deal with them? He's gentle. He's gentle. But at the same time, you're going, well, I think I remember somewhere in the New Testament where Jesus called a group of religious leaders sons of hell, right? Like, dude, that's like next level. Like, I've never called, like, sons of hell, right? I mean, I kind of like saying it. It's kind of fun right now. I don't know what's going on to me with that. But he's, you know, called, sorry, thanks for laughing. Hypocrites, he called them snakes. He called them 
you know, whitewashed tombs, murders. I mean, that, so it's, it's like, okay, what, what do I do with this? You know, it seems like, you know, gentleness is not just like never getting angry, right? Or gentleness is not getting angry all the time, obviously, too. It's not blowing things off, being wishy-washy and really soft. No, there's, a, there's something that Jesus embodies in a very perfect way, all right? And so, so I, and I think, you know, there's a ton of stories, but here in John 8, it really does put on display what gentleness looks like and what gentleness feels like. And so let's kind of look at this story real, real briefly here, just kind of like so we can kind of get our bearings of what's going on here. And so in verse 3 and 4, we see that there's a woman who's caught, it's a very important detail, who's caught in adultery. So this is not someone that there's rumors about this. There's, it's not a situation where they saw her with a man. You're kind of like, ah, I'm not really sure. It's not even somewhat, you know, they, they saw her walk out of the house. No, this is a woman that is caught in the act of adultery. And so these religious leaders grab her out of the bed, drag her to the temple courts, and put her right in the middle of this group of people that are basically kind of hearing a Sunday school lesson from Jesus. And we know that the primary motive why they're doing this is not because they value marriage. And it's not even necessarily because they want to obey God and what God has to say No, we know because we see the full story here. They're wanting to trap Jesus. They're trying to want him to kind of mess up so they can go after him. And so look, look what happens here, starting in verse 4. So teacher, right? these are the religious leaders. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. So guess what? In the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? What do you say, Jesus? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So here's kind of what they're trying to do when it comes to this sort of trap. You know, they, they recognize that Jesus has been around traveling, preaching a message that feels very compassionate, a message of grace and mercy. He's extended forgiveness to people. He's got a, a band of followers where there's a couple of tax collectors, and he's just known to, to include outcasts, be involved relationally with people that are on the, the marginalized and those that are just kind of like kind of sinful and people that and religious leaders would stay away from. So he has this kind of message as well as this you know, feel of like compassion, kindness, mercy. And at the same time, they also have heard him talk about, you know, he's not come, come here to kind of you know, nullify or dismiss the law of God. He's actually come here to fulfill it, to be obedient to it. So he's not taking the law lightly either. And so, so what these, you know, these religious leaders are trying to do is sort of trap him because if he lets her go, if he just says, hey, you know what, just, it's okay, no big deal. If he just lets her go, then he's undermining the law of God and in one sense kind of losing credibility of Jewish people who took the law of God with seriousness and had a high regard to that. So if he just says, let her go, then he's kind of dismissing the law of God, which then would kind of play into the religious leader's hands. But if he would say, stone her, then it's, then it's coming back to those people that, Thought, like, I thought this was a message of mercy and grace and kindness and compassion. And now it's not really feeling like that. It's, you're just, just like all the religious leaders. You're just kind of doing bait and switch, right? You're kind of luring me in with this message of compassion and grace, but then you're crushing me with the law. So that's what the, the trap is here. They're basically, in essence, saying, hey, look, Jesus, if you claim to be God, then are you a just God who believes evil should be punished? Or... Are you a God of compassion, mercy, and grace, and forgiveness who looks the other way when people sin? That's, that's the trap. 
And so what what does Jesus do? He does things that we probably wouldn't think to do because he's the wisest man to ever walk on this earth. Look what he says in verse 6. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. That was all like, I don't know about you. When you read that, you're like, I want to know what he wrote, right? What's he writing? Is he drawing something? You know, is he, like what's going on there? And there's all kinds of speculation. You read all kinds of commentators. And some say that, hey, he's writing down the sins of the people, right? That, that big mob that's circling her with the, their rock in their hand, getting ready to throw it out. He's writing down the sins of the whole group. Or some people speculate that he's naming uh, the names of all those in this group that have committed adultery, right? He's writing their names down. Or, and this is all speculation. This is the one I kind of like, all right? Because it, it just feels more like Jesus. Some speculate that he's drawing in the ground so he can distract the stares and the glances and the accusing eyes that are looking at this woman who's been caught in adultery, probably half naked. It just kind of feels like Jesus. Let's get your eyes off her. Look at what I'm doing down here. Speculation. We'll know someday what he wrote because we'll get to ask him. So verse 7. So when the religious leaders kept on questioning him, kind of insisting, he straightened up and he said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, some people take that verse and really make it mean something that it doesn't mean, right? So Jesus is not saying that you've got to be sinless before you can ever confront somebody in sin, right? Or you've got to have sinless judges before you can ever execute justice, right? Like that's, that's not what he's saying at all. That's not where he's going here. That, you, know, you can make an argument later on in the New Testament where Jesus commands those that are followers on Jesus Christ to confront those in sin. Like that's, that's part of what we do as a body. So he's, he's definitely not saying you gotta be sinless before you can do that. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's, what he's doing here is this. It's okay, look, look, if you, wanna, if you wanna follow the law, then let's go there. If you wanna, you wanna kind of follow the law, then let's, let's follow it to the letter. That's, that's what he's doing here. Because look, if you could not convict someone of adultery with circumstantial evidence, you couldn't do this in this time. So what I mean by that is this. You couldn't, you couldn't, like, you know, you couldn't convict someone of adultery if, if even you saw them leaving the motel together. That's not enough. You know, we're in motels, but bear with me, all right, in that time. But you, that's not enough. You couldn't even convict someone of adultery if they were just in bed together. That's not enough. It was extremely difficult in order to convict someone of adultery, because why? You had to catch them in the act. You had to catch them while they were in the act of committing adultery, and you had a two eyewitnesses. And those two eyewitnesses also had to be the ones that first threw the stones. And so what Jesus is doing here is this. It's like, okay, you want to play by the law? Well, this is what the law says. Actually, in Leviticus 20 and in Deuteronomy 22, it says both parties, both parties that are in the fair were to be answerable. Both parties, male and female, shall die. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says what the religious leader said, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. No, no, no. You're supposed to bring both parties. So therefore, look guys, if you want to play by the law, where's the man? Where's the man? Ooh, something fishy going on here. You're not, you're not caring about the law of God here. You're trying to set this whole thing up. And in essence, what he's trying to do for the religious leaders, as well as the mob that's getting ready to throw a stone at her, he wants all of them to examine their own lives. Yeah, there's a law against adultery. Yes, it's wrong. Yes, it's sinful. But there's also a law against entrapment. 
What about that one? There's also a law against partiality. What about that one? There's also a law against lust. You're trying to tell me that as you're watching this act, what's going on internally in your heart? There's a law against that. There's a law against lying. So it's like all Jesus is trying to do in his most miraculous way, he's saying, look, look at yourself. Are you holding yourself to the same standard that you're holding this woman? He's trying to turn the tables and say, yes, the woman's shame, this adulterous woman's guilt is really obvious. Everybody can see it. And this woman's not denying it either, right? There was not a question, is she guilty? That's not the question at hand here. And this woman's not trying to defend herself. But what Jesus is trying to help these guys see is, yeah, we can see this guilt obvious in this woman, but do you see your own? Do you see your own guilt Do you see how you've broken the law of God? That's what he's trying to help these people see. Not try to excuse this woman. Yeah, she's guilty. It's obvious. But here's what I'm trying to do for you guys. Do you see your own guilt? Is your own breaking of the law obvious also as you think it's so obvious with this woman? And I would say, look, look, look. This is the first step toward gentleness. This is the kind of the the beginning stages to where we begin to cultivate the fruit of the spirit of gentleness. And what do you what do you mean by that? Well, I mean this. What we what we tend to have a tendency to do with this text, not always, but most of the time, is we kind of look at this woman in one of two ways. All right. So one way is we kind of look at this woman as loose. She's just a loose woman going out, being a homewrecker, and whatever happens to her, she deserves it. So that's one way. We look like so, so, so we kind of see ourselves as the crowd, right? You know, you know, sleeps around, loose woman. She, whatever consequences, yes, yeah, she's broke the law of God. She deserves whatever judgment it is. So that's one way we see it. The other way we see it is that we see her as a victim, right? So, so if we see her as a loose woman, there's kind of like this judgmental spirit that goes toward her. If we see her just as a victim, we have this empathy toward her, right? She's just one that got set up. Maybe... Maybe her husband's a big loser and marriage is awful. And maybe, you know, like, yeah, I mean, this kind of feels right, right? You know what I'm saying? And so, so if, we, if we just leave it in these two categories, listen, listen, you'll never cultivate the spirit of gentleness that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, nor will we see it at, at play in this passage of Scripture. Because if all we think of her is that she's a loose woman who just needs to get what she deserves, if that's what I'm cultivating in my heart and spirit, then guess what? I'm going to come across harsh, aren't I? I'm going to come across really, in a sinful way, judgmental and self-righteous. If I only see her as a victim, then what am I going to do? I'm going to come across way too easy and soft and never confronting sin like God has commanded us to do as people of God. And so what's the answer? It's what Jesus is trying to do here. You've got to see yourself in the woman. That's why this story is here. You've got to, you don't put yourself in the crowd and you don't put yourself in the religious leaders. You put yourself in place of the woman. You've got to see yourself 
in the woman, because when you see yourself in the woman, then it's going to cultivate a spirit of gentleness. Now, some of you in this room are going, well, hold on, Lyle, I've never been caught in the act of adultery. No one's ever caught me doing that. That's a pretty outlandish, far-out sin. You're, like, that's not, not me at all. How am I going to identify with this woman? Well, I, I would argue that every single one of us in this room have done things where God said no, and the reason why we did it is because we we're seeking the good life. Are you following me? Look, this is not, and granted, maybe I'm reading into the story a little bit, but I don't think I am. This is not some kind of meaningless hookup for this lady. Like the reason why she's committing adultery is because she's convinced that this is going to bring me what I've been longing for. This is the good life. This is going to finally settle my own soul and and bring happiness to me. Yeah, I know God says no to this, but I'm convinced that this is right for us. And all of us in this room have done that. At some point in our life, we said, okay, I know what is right. I know what my conscience is saying, but I'm convinced that this is the good life. And so I'm going to disobey God and do what you tell me not to do. And it always leaves us empty. It always leaves us in wanting. It always leaves us exactly how this woman is, in a mess of guilt and a mess of shame. And so all of us in this room should be able to identify, see ourselves in this woman. And when we are able to see ourselves in this woman, then the fruit of the spirit of gentleness begins to be cultivated in in our own heart and life. And that's I mean, if you go to Galatians chapter 6, that's what Paul is after. You don't have it in your, your text. It's not on the screen. But look, this is just shortly after giving in the fruit of the Spirit. Look what he says. Brothers and sisters, those who are in Christ, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should do what? Restore him how? How? Gently. And then look at the connection. But watch yourself or you will also be tempted. Translation, so... How do I restore someone that's caught in sin gently? You recognize that that could be you. That's how. You recognize that, yes, there's there's a capacity within you to commit the very same sin. And when you own that and recognize that, then you respond in gentleness. That's that's the beginning state. Like, look, guys, I don't want to belabor this point, but I'm just telling you this is where it begins. Like, we get this at some level, right? If you're dealing with someone that's younger than you, because usually... Gentleness is similar to patience. Patience is kind of like a, a response to something, you know, that's frustrating, angry, you know, hardship. You got you to gotta do patience. Gentleness is usually a response to someone that's harsh towards you, that's failed you, that's sinned against you, that's made you mad, right? In any kind of relationship, husband and wife, father, son, whatever it is, if it's someone younger than you and they do something that blow it and they've done it over and over and over and your, your, your natural instinctive response is to come back and just get harsh, right? Well, how do you get gentle? You identify with them. They're 16. And I did some boneheaded things when I was 16 years old. It doesn't mean that you dismiss it, right? It doesn't mean you come in and go, that's all right. No, by you identifying with them, you're able to bring a truth to bear with gentleness. They're 15. They're eight, you know? They're just being a kid. Yeah, I hate it when they grab the bread and run around here like they've never eaten before and leave a trail of it in my office to where I feel like I can take a, make a whole loaf with all the bread in my, my floor. 
but they're nine. He's nine years old. Are you following me? One writer writes it like this. At the deepest root of the kind of gentleness that is in the fruit of the Spirit is genuine humility. And he goes on and explains. And by humility, I mean the, the deep awareness that I'm just as human and flawed and tempted as anyone else. I really have no reason to feel superior or get aggressive when other people show their flaws and failings. No, if I know my own heart. Humility comes a lot easier when you really know yourself and when you know the the weak and flawed person who is living inside the shell you have on the outside. Then out of the deep well of self-knowledge and gratitude for the grace of God that has rescued you from your own sin and failures comes, look, look, humility before God and gentleness towards others. So, you know, I just want to suggest that that if you find yourself consistently being harsh, right, and find gentleness something that ah, is elusive to you, maybe it's because you don't see yourself in this woman. And if you don't see yourself in this woman, then an instinctive way you're going to be felt and experienced is harsh. You're going to use the word of God like a club and you're going to crush people. But look, look what happens here. Verse 8. And Jesus stooped down, wrote on the ground, and at this, those who, who heard began to go away one at a time, the oldest ones first. Those 20-year-olds kept hold of that rock really tight. It took them a little while to realize they were sinful too. Um, Thanks for laughing a little bit. That's not a slam on 20-year-olds, 20 at one time in the same way. So until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there, and Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Where are they? So Jesus finally answers the initial question, right? Remember the initial question, teacher, what do you say? Well, here's what he's saying. Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you. And Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. I mean, it's beautiful what Jesus does here, right? I mean, notice he doesn't, he doesn't minimize or ignore the sin. Not at all. He doesn't say to her, well, you know, I'm sure you just got caught up in the moment, Right? Emotions were going and, you know, how about we just forgive and forget? He doesn't say, hey, I know you're, you're getting set up. You know, we all make mistakes. It's all right. Yeah, it's not that big of a deal if you commit adultery. No, that, that's not what Jesus does here. Jesus is neither angry judge like some of us think or expect him to be, nor, nor is he this wishy-washy God who glosses over sin and just has a tendency to focus on the positive. That's not what happens here. What is it? Jesus, look, listen to me, is gentle. That's what he is. He's, he's gentle. He's a perfect blend of compassion and justice. Perfect. He's, 
treats this woman with great dignity by him calling her. What do you say to her? He says um, in verse, uh, I'm sorry, I'm losing it. Verse 10, he said, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman. Like, that's not a derogatory term. We, we, we hear that in a derogatory term, woman. That's kind of how we hear it. You know, that's not what Jesus is doing. That's a beautiful term of, of respect and of dignity and of honor. Like, he's, here's a woman caught in adultery and God is Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh is speaking to her in, in a dignified, honorable way. So he, he shows her dignity, speaks to her with dignity, and at the same time, same time doesn't dismiss her sin. Doesn't say you're not guilty. Instead, he gives her a word of grace. Neither do I condemn you. And he gives her a word or a call to grow in holiness. Go, leave your life of sin. That's gentleness. It's interesting. I was doing some research on this. I came across a, a psalm in Psalm 18, verse 35. I'd never seen this before. I'd never made these little connections. And this is where the psalmist is kind of giving praise to who God is. And it says this in verse 35. It says, you give me your shield of victory and your right hand sustains me. And look what he says here. You stoop down. You stoop down to make me great. Another translation Translates that little phrase at the bottom, your gentleness made me great. You stooped down to make me great. Now make the connections between Psalm 18 and John 8. Who's the one stooping down? Isn't that beautiful? Twice. Twice in this passage. Jesus, the one who is sinless, who has every right to throw the first stone, is the one who's stooping down down. He's the one who's using his power not to harm, but to heal. He's the one that is gentle. Not being wishy-washy, no, no, confronting her sin, but doing it in such a way that it's life-giving. So here's always the hard question with, with this whole series. When we take an aspect of the fruit and we look at Jesus, it's like, you know, part of it is go and do likewise. But boy, like I said last week, that's just kind of like crushing, right? I, I, like, how do I do this? How do I even begin to step into this? Because it is, like, this is an example. This is, Jesus is our model. He's the one we seek after to emulate and to, to you know, copy and say, I want to imitate him. And so, yes, that's why every single week I've reminded us of this reality. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, all the fruits of the Spirit are, are, are present in you, all of them. We're not, I'm not earning something. I'm not trying to be faithful so that God will be faithful to me. I'm not trying to be gentle so that God will be gentle to me. God has been gentle to you, and you have gentleness within you because you're in Christ. So look, you, you operate from a whole new foundation and platform. And you get, I hope you're not getting done hearing that. I don't care if you are. I'm going to keep saying it. Like, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. You're in Christ, and all of these fruit is, is present in you. It's there. And what the work of the Spirit is, is to get out what is true about you. Okay? So, so like, when we look at this example, we don't need to see it as something that's crushing because I'm not being judged to live like this. And if I don't live like this, I'm gonna be going to hell, right? No, my sin, even in those times when I'm not gentle, today and the next 40 years, if God gives me that, 
that's been nailed to the cross. I'm safe with God because of the work of Jesus. So now I've got the freedom to say, look, but man, I want to be this. I, I want to be this. So, so how? Well, broken record, but that's okay, all right? You've got to start reflecting on Christ. You do. Because this is, not, this is not like rocket science. This is not like some kind of silver bullet, like, oh, there's the thing. you got. No, it, it starts with reflections upon Jesus. You've, you've got to dive into the Gospels. You've got to dive into these, these stories that we see over and over about who Jesus is. You've got, to, you've got to read Jesus. Even in 1 Samuel, when we go to David, the hero's not David. The hero's Jesus Christ. And we've got to kind of put a focus back on him. Because as, as you reflect upon him, just like I said last week, there's a way that the Spirit of God comes and begins to shape and mold, and then all of a sudden gentleness begins to ooze out on you. Right? I, like, I, I wish it was something different. I wish I could go up here and say, like, this is how you become gentle. Step one, doom. Step two, doom. Step three. You know, that's what we want, but that's not how it works. It's not. Step one, reflect on Jesus. So, like, like I've said every single week. <laughs> Like, take John 8 this week. Read it every day. It's okay, God. My Spirit, show me something new, something, something that warms my heart toward Jesus. Help me to see something about his gentleness here that I've never seen before. And, Lord, by your Spirit, help me to respond like that. Because God's going to give you plenty of opportunities because people frustrate us. They make us angry. We're treated unfairly. People sin against us. We catch people in sin. And so, like, there's going to be opportunities for us to respond in this type of gentleness. It's going to be rolling out there, probably maybe as you go home today, right? There's going to be an opportunity for you. And the Spirit of God will help you. He's there. He's our comforter. He's our, our helper. For us to be gentle, we've got to reflect upon the gentleness of Jesus. Secondly, if you want a, a list, then I'll give it to you, all right? Secondly, then this is it. Like, you've got to receive the gentleness of Jesus. And I'm not talking to all of us in here, but I think there's some of us in there. The reason why you have difficulty being gentle is because you're not gentle to yourself. You have difficulty putting yourself in this story as that adulterous woman and receiving the gentleness of Jesus. Because what you want to do is beat yourself up. That if I can just make myself feel as bad as I need for what I did, then I might feel better. I can't receive. I'm seeing like it, it's this endless cycle of where we're trying to, to make ourselves feel really, really, really bad and do this beating up of ourselves to where we can't receive the gentleness of Jesus. So then therefore, we're not gentle with ourselves. We're harsh with ourselves. And if I'm harsh with myself, then how am I going to be with other people? Like you can fake it. You know what I'm saying? You can fake it pretty well around people you meet on a Sunday. And you see them once a week. Oh, that person's really gentle. But you can't fake it with your own family. You can't fake it with your own friends. You can't fake it with your children. They will feel your harshness, even if it doesn't come out. And for some of you in this room, it starts with receiving the gentleness of Jesus and how he deals with your failure so that you can learn how to be gentle yourself, and then in the end, you're extending gentleness to others. Are you with me? So I'm reflecting. I'm, I'm receiving his gentleness toward me and my failures and where I've blown it. 
And then the third thing, and I know I'm kind of giving you a list, but, that, but I think you know my heart here. The third thing is this, is you got, you got to recognize that this is going to be slow. Like, we can say that about all the fruit of the Spirit. You see, I think part of the difficulty is with this is we're, we grow up in American culture, and we want everything now, right? I mean, it's, it's fascinating how we can just get things right now. Like, you know, when, you know, we, we, we'll go out to lunch. Most of us won't have to go home and fix anything. We just go, we got it right now, right? We just, and that's what we want in our spiritual life. We want to be mature now, right? Tomorrow morning, I want to wake up, and I'm gentle. I'm gentle all the time, right? It's like, like we have this unrealistic expectation, and here's, you know, a good friend kind of just keeps reminding me of this reality. It's like when you, when you first become a Christian, there's all these kind of like outward things that you got to deal with, right? And it's not, you know, some people may look at that and say, well, that guy's being legalistic or moral or whatever it is. And, but really what it is is you're just trying to learn how to obey God. You begin to see like, you know, my, I mean, my language just isn't what it needs to be. And I don't need to be saying this. And so I need to work on that. You know, I, I'm watching some things and listening to some things that are not really helping my own heart to grow. And so I need to kind of stop that. I need to, you know, I need to stop looking at this. You know, there's, there's a lot of outward things that we begin to do. You know, you, know, you, you kind of look back on that. You say, well, that's kind of foolish. But you know, the reality is when you're 15, 16, 18, whenever you got saved, it's like, this is what God was telling me to do. And I'm just kind of following in obedience. Yeah, you know, if I'm being honest, I wish I had a lot of those tapes and CDs that I burnt in my little backyard at Lemon Junction, Kentucky, because I felt like God was telling me to do that. It's like, uh, but I was 16. You know what I'm saying? Like I was, I was functioning out of a 16, 17, 18-year-old spirituality at that time. Now, as a 47-year-old, if I'm still going burning tapes, like, I don't know, right? We need to have a conversation. There might be something a little, are you following me? But then there's, there's a way in which you begin to mature, and some would kind of use the language of like second stage, where a lot of this is internal. Patience. Joy, kindness, love, self-control, gentleness. And that's a slow work. It is. And I'm not trying to, like, I'm not trying to create in us this sense of like, well, okay, it's slow work. Eh, Who cares? You know, throw in another Netflix. You know, uh, I don't need to do any work. You know what I'm, saying? I'm not trying to cultivate that. I'm just trying to give us some more healthy expectations, right? Of what we can expect out of ourselves and what we can expect with one another. Right? This is slow work. Cultivating gentleness that's being expressed and laid out here in this path. Dude, this will take time. Now, you're not going to wake up tomorrow morning and go, I'm going to respond gently every difficult situation that rolls. No, you won't. But when we look more long-term, where where are you going to be in a year? Right? Where are you going to be in two years? As one of my good friends said, have you you moved the needle forward some? Like, we don't give up on this. No, this this is what it means to be human. This is what it brings about genuine joy and contentment in my life is when I pursue this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. And so, okay, I want to be more gentle. So reflect, receive, and acknowledge it's going to be slow work.
So if you're a Christian here, I pray that that's what you'll step in to do this coming week. I pray that you'll just kind of even examine your own self and say, okay, like, would someone characterize me as a gentle person? And if not, then what work do I need to do? By the Spirit's power and by His grace, what do I need to do? If you're not a Christian here, and I think you've heard me say this every week also, look, don't go out of here thinking I'm going to clothe myself with gentleness. No, 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 that's not your application. You walk out of here clothing yourself with Jesus. That's what you do. One of the most beautiful things in John 8 is you see the essence of Christianity there. You really do. It's this mysterious paradox where, look, Jesus basically tells that woman, you're guilty. You are guilty, but you're not condemned. Like, how does that happen? How can someone be guilty of sin and not be condemned? Well, it's because Jesus took her condemnation. Yeah, stones need to be thrown. She deserved to be killed. But the stones were thrown at Jesus and Jesus took her death so that he can look at her and says, no, 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 you're not condemned. Go now and leave your life of sin. And so your first step, if you're not a Christian here, is, is yeah, yeah, you're guilty. I hope you own that. I hope you see that. If you don't, then, then my prayer is that the Spirit of God will reveal to you your own guiltiness of of sin and rebellion. But the good news is that I don't have to pay for that guilt. Someone's done it on my behalf. And so I need to receive the one who's taken on my condemnation, and that is Jesus. So don't walk out of here thinking I'm going to clothe myself with gentleness. No, you walk out of here going, no, I need to clothe myself with Jesus. We've always got people here. You can come talk to me at the end of the service. I'd love to sit down with you and talk to you more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. So let's pray together.